Happiness is an inside job. At Happy Healthy You, Connie Bowman helps us find our way with inspiring conversations and healthy ideas for living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. Happy Healthy You, and now here's Connie. My soul needed vegetable soup today. Oh my gosh, there's so many beautiful vegetables out. So I just threw some onions, some potatoes, carrots, asparagus, tomatoes. I had some fresh bay leaves. And when I looked into the pan, the beauty that was there just spoke to my soul. I know that sounds crazy, right? But when I ate it, it was even better. So have you checked in with your soul lately? Seriously, if you could describe the state of your soul right this very moment, how would you describe it? 20 or so years ago, I picked up a book at the bookstore that spoke to my soul. My wounded soul was in dire need of healing at that time after the death of our six-year-old daughter, Megan, and I was in desperate need for anything that could help heal my very broken heart. That book was Care for the Soul by today's guest, Thomas Moore. I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Connie Bowman, host of Happy Healthy You, the podcast, where I love, love, love to have conversations about living lives of balance in mind, body, and spirit. And you are so welcome here. And after you listen, I hope you'll share your ideas about today's topic. But first, let me just tell you a little bit about Thomas Moore, even though he's a rock star in the realm of the soul, and you probably have read one or many of his books. When I mentioned to so many people that I was interviewing him, they said, I've already ordered his new book, and I've read this and read that. So we had lots of great conversations. Thomas Moore is the author of the best-selling book, Care of the Soul, that the book that I mentioned, and some 20 other books on deepening spirituality and cultivating soul in every aspect of life. He's been a monk, a musician, a university professor, and a psychotherapist. He's a PhD in religion from Syracuse, and he's won several awards, including an honorary doctorate from Lesley University and the Humanitarian Award from Einstein Medical School, and it goes on and on. And his latest book, which arrived serendipitously in my mailbox a couple of weeks ago, is entitled Ageless Soul, The Lifelong Journey Toward Meaning and Joy. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, Welcome, Thomas. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Connie. Oh, this book is beautiful. Can I just tell you a little bit about this book? And maybe this will generate a little conversation about the soul to start. So I go to my mailbox and I pull this package out of the mailbox and I unwrap it. And here is your beautiful book. And I read the note from your publisher that it's coming out October 10th, which is so exciting. And I start to get into this book and read it. And it just, of course, like all your other books speak to me so deeply. And um, then a couple days later, I'm taking a walk and I'm thinking about this and I put on Audible. I'm listening to a podcast because I'm doing sort of a self-study about the mystics. So I'm listening to this uh, podcast about Hildegard of Bingen, Bingen. Hildegard of Bingen. I'm sure you know about her. Anyway, uh, so then the author of this book starts quoting Thomas More, <laughs> reading from one of your other books about the dark night of the soul. And so I'm like, okay, this is, this is great. So then I go to my husband's high school reunion a night, about two days later, and I meet somebody, and I tell him that I'm going to interview you about this book. And he goes, oh, yeah, I've interviewed him. And he sends me all these articles. His name was Tom 
rapses, rapses. Anyway, just like crazy, crazy stuff about <laughs> going on. So I, I, I feel like my soul has been leading me to this interview. So would you say that that would be true? Oh, yes. I think that we are led in our lives. Our job is to follow and to uh, have the courage to do what life invites us to do. So you always have to be listening to what's being said to you that way. <laughs> Thank you. Because I, I, I don't know, I just I, I felt like it was something that kept it was like the gift that kept giving. It was like Thomas More, Thomas More, Thomas More. <laughs> so That's great. I revisited your book, Care for the Soul, because I feel like this book, and it's just an insight, as you say in your intro to uh, the, the latest iteration of Care for the Soul, I feel like this ageless soul, this book that's coming out actually next week, is sort of a continuation of your work. Um, to encourage us to care for our own souls. And I just want to ask you, as I, as I was revisiting Care for the Soul, you distinguish between soul and spirit. And I know that's getting a little heady, but could you, can you talk about that a little bit? Like how, what is, yeah, yeah how, do, how does that, let's just it, talk it about this. It doesn't have to be too heady. Okay. Uh, we, could, <laughs> we can talk about it in a very down-to-earth way. Okay. Um, so, there are these two words that have been used for centuries, I mean millennia, you know, 2,000 years at least, soul and spirit. And sometimes we use them interchangeably. But what I mean is, and when I use these words, and it's, it's, it's been, this idea has been around for a long time too, um, the spirit takes us out of ourselves. It's like uh, when we are spiritual, like when you're meditating mm -hmm. or when you're in nature mm -hmm. or praying or uh, any experiences like that, you're being taken beyond yourself. You're looking beyond yourself for some support and understanding and reaching beyond yourself. That's so important to do, you know, to be able to go beyond ourselves. But the soul, the deep soul is very different. And that is more embedded in ordinary life. And it's deep within ourselves, deep, deep within our memories and our emotions. And those two realms are quite different. For example, in order to be to be able to reach beyond yourself, you have to detach to some extent. You may want to go on a retreat or maybe eat less or do various things, ways of detaching. But the soul wants to be attached. You know, like you want to be attached to your home and to your friends and family and to the place where you live. All those attachments are so important to make us human beings. Mm. So that's a very different movement. You know, it's a different experience. And what I've been doing is, I think a lot of people talk for the spirit. I don't hear too many people talking for the soul. So that's what, and my mission really is to try to speak for this deeper soul. Mm, I love it. And not to complicate matters, but can you speak on how consciousness is related to the soul and spirit? <laughs> well, I hate to say this, uh, but I'm not too interested in consciousness, I have to say. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't care about being, I, I'm a kind of unconscious person. Uh, people in my family call me Mr. Magoo, if you know who that is. <laughs> yes, yeah. A character who bumps into things all the time and is not quite aware of what's happening around him. And so I, I prefer to be unconscious rather than conscious. And so I'm more interested in unconsciousness and dream and fantasy and the things that take us away from ourselves. Mm. I'm, I'm not so interested in becoming so conscious. I, I think that's way overdone. Okay. So, so that's just not part of what I do. 
Okay, I like that. Well, I was at uh, uh, an interesting talk by Ilya Delio this past weekend. Oh my gosh, talk about Hetty. She talked about the conversion of science and religion and consciousness and it... Uh, I was trying to listen with my heart and my head was just spinning. But um, she says that the same thing. It's like there is really um, no time. So all this this uh, mindfulness pushing us to be in the present moment and to be so conscious, conscious, conscious. In essence, our soul is pulling us from from the future <laughs> or or calling to us from the future. It's just mind bending. I don't I'm still trying to wrap my soul around it so so let's just keep going <laughs> so okay, good. so so does the soul mature or is it is it unchangeable or is it does it change does it age i mean you talk about this aging soul yeah well uh one of the people i rely on uh, in my books is a, a someone from the 15th century by the way i like to live in the past you know i'm, I'm not too much in the present moment either okay i really love to constantly uh, relate to the past and people of the past. And, and my uh, European Renaissance teachers uh, said that the soul is partly in time and partly in eternity. Mm. And I like that. Mm. Uh, so there's a, there's a part of the soul, you might say, that ages. There's that part of our soul life that is in ordinary life and in time. And every day we're having experiences that go very deep. And so um, I think we are changing in soul at that level. But there's another element, there's another part of it, you might say, that is eternal, that doesn't change. And this relates to aging, I think, because if you were to ask me what my age is, I'd tell you, well, I'm going to be 77 in a week. Um, but I feel, I feel like I feel like 42, actually. Mm. It's funny. I teach a yoga class for seniors on uh, Friday mornings. And last Friday, I mentioned that I was going to um, interview you. And they and I and I asked them the question, how old is your soul? How old do you? Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got I got such great answers. Um, I, I would say that most people said 40s and 50s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but two of them. One of them said seventeen, and I, wow. I was like, "Yeah, I had to ask about that." And she said, "Yeah, I don't really want, have any interest in being mature." And then the <laughs> the other one. This is Ed, who I I just love him. He sits next to me in the class. He wears cowboy boots, and he's eighty four. And his answer was eighty four. Uh, mm, so I thought it was interesting, but yeah, it, it's a great, it's a great exercise to do. But yes, yes. And my parents are always saying, how did I get to be this age? And uh, I still feel, feel, yeah, young when I like going out, which is good, I guess. So if the soul, you, you talk in the book about the soul uh, can, can get sick. And you, I mentioned in the intro that my, my daughter passed away and that my soul was definitely, um, I don't know how I'd even describe it, torn apart, yes, ripped yes, wide I'm open. Sure. Um, so does the soul experience pain? I mean, can you talk about that a little bit, pain? Oh, yeah, illness? yeah I think we have. Yeah. We have a lot of pain and suffering mm -hmm. that goes deeper than emotion. It's like it's it's so deep, it's, a, it's about our very makeup, what we're made of. That's mm -hmm. where we feel that some of these wounds and illnesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, when something, I mean, that's unimaginable to hear, you know, about a, a child dying. Is, it, it just can shake you so deeply that that's where you can say your soul is touched. Mm 
Mm. I think that really means something. Mm -hmm. It's very, I don't, I, I don't think that all the definitions and all the abstract uh, talk about soul help too much. I mean, you need some of that, but I think it's more about our experience. So you can say that, yes, there, you can have a soul sickness. You may be depressed, so depressed about life or so depressed about what's happening to you that you feel that not just as an emotion, but that there's something, there's a part of you that's almost like your body, but it's not your body that can get sick and can be and can be punctured and hurt mm -hmm. by events that happen. Mm -hmm. I think like like uh, in the news today, the shooting, there's a shooting in Las Vegas of mm -hmm. a, a large number of people. And just to, to think of that, I think we all, most of us get wounded by that, mm -hmm. just by knowing, even if we're at a distance, mm -hmm. For sure. uh, we get, because we're part of a community. And when someone else has uh, a bad, a terrible experience, an incredible experience like that, you just feel it in yourself. And it's, as I keep saying, it's not just an emotional thing. Mm -hmm. it, it has to do with how you look at life. And I'm wounded now. I won't look at life the same way. Sure, sure. And and so we need an individual healing of the soul as, all, as well as a collective healing. Um, always, now, always. It's always collective and individual. It's like mm -hmm. those are two sides of a coin. We always need both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I love about this book is you give so many great ideas for the care of our soul, especially as we are aging. And I, I think it's interesting to hear how many people, uh, I'm 57, so I'm getting to that age where, you know, I've been getting the AARP uh, notices for quite a few years. And, and mm -hmm. I hear people say aging ain't for sissies, you know, getting, yeah. getting old sucks. You know, people say that all the time. Mm -hmm. I hear it. And I love that this book just reframes it in a way that where you say, instead of being a lot of really unsurmountable challenges, it's more like a dramatic series of initiations is how you put it, yeah, rather than right. a diminishing experience. That's right. So yeah, what I the one point I make, there are a lot of points like that. And one of them is that we don't just keep growing. Uh, like today, people like to talk about growing. I, I, I have a growth experience. or, or mm -hmm. Am I growing or am I not? Uh, another way of looking at it is that we go through passages. We go through and layers or steps, phases. And I, I try to give examples from my own experience where, you know, I spent maybe 12 or 13 years in one phase and then you go to another phase. But to get to the next one, you may have to take a big leap. I mean, like, some people are in a job and that they've trained for and they're making good money, but they know that it's not good for their soul. They might even use the soul word there. Mm -hmm. It's not good for my soul to be in this job. And, and yet it would take courage to be able to leave it and take a leap into the unknown. I've met a lot of people who have reached that point in their careers. And they find that if they can, if they can, say yes to the new invitation of life, like say, thinking, well, there's something new I have to do. If you can just step off and do that, that's like, that's a new, a new passage. Mm -hmm. So you age that at that point, mm -hmm. but then, then you're on a plateau maybe for another a few years until mm -hmm. the next invitation comes along. That's the way I see it happening. We are on these steps all the time. It, it's not a continuous straight line. Yeah, yeah. And that, that gives us so much hope for the future. If we look at it that way, it's just another reframe. Mm. Yes. And it also, I think, uh, tells us that we have to make some 
some real decisions at times in our lives. I mean, you come to turning points. You know, should I, should I um, have children or not have children? Should I get married or not? Should I uh, move to a new locale? Uh, you got to think those things through carefully. But once you see that there's life somewhere for you, it's so much better to to say yes, you know, to, to pursue that and go ahead. I think that that's the way we really age. And that's different from just getting older. It, you're aging. You're actually mm-hmm. becoming somebody. I love that you use the term aging in such a positive sense. It sounds, it makes it sound like we're embracing the mystery or or uh, really maturing in a deeper more um authentic way so that's right i like that aging um you talk about the importance of mentors and elders so i i feel like change is so hard for us as humans i really have compassion for people like my parents i look at my parents they recently sort of retired they had their own business they worked together for gosh more than 50 years and retired and I think it's taken a toll on their health as well. And and just making that change, I think, was really hard. And the importance of having uh, mentors or, or someone that can kind of see you through to the next phase. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I, think, yes. I, I feel like that is so rich and beautiful. Yes. Well, there are certain things, funny, there are certain things you can only do when you're older. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people talk about things I used to be able to do when I was younger. But the fact is, uh, to be a really good mentor, I mean, I know there are younger mentors, but when you get older, you can really do it because you have experience and you have knowledge and you've had a chance to sit with your decisions and and reflect on them and i think that you're you're ready then to mentor somebody else and at least i know i feel that too i didn't expect it but i really feel it and i know that in my life um, i've had mentors all along i've had such good people come into my life and help me out and and not, not just give me advice but support me and help me sort things through and and people who would be with me no matter what I did or what decisions I made. Uh, I think that all of us need that kind of person. And when you get older, you are in a position to be that kind of a mentor and elder. And uh, that's a great benefit from being older. And it it makes you feel better about aging, I think. And it gives you something to do. So if you're retired, it's not that now you've got nothing to do. Now you've got time to do all those many things that that are different from what you did before, but are really important. Mm, And the many benefits psychologically and spiritually of giving back, especially to a younger person. Yeah, yeah. I think that that would be such a a good thing for more people to consider as they they age. I certainly would. Well, it's active. It's being proactive with Mm -hmm. aging instead of being passive and saying, oh, well, it's all over. I've got nothing to do. How am I going to spend my time? If you're worried about spending your time, I tell you, just go to a hospital, go to a school and find those people that need you. Mm-hmm. It, it will take you seconds to find somebody who needs you. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think you find new meaning in your life through service. That's really a very important way of finding meaning as you get older. Mm-hmm. And can you talk just a little bit about illness? I mean, so many people find as they age that things crop up and they are facing illnesses. And, and how can we look at these more as a 
as a series of initiations or as a maybe a message from our soul that you know we need to pay a little more attention to something or give us a, a little bit of your wisdom well, on that yes yes uh, the, well the first thing to be said is about illness in general we, we are in a society in a culture where everything is understood physically alone mm -hmm. so we tend to look at our illnesses only physically and we go to a doctor who's only going to treat them physically for the most part and so uh, I think what you have to do as you get older and you know you're going to have to deal with some sickness, you have to see that, that you are experiencing that illness as a person, as a person with a soul, I would say. Mm. And so the illness is going to speak to you. It's going to have meaning for you. And how you deal with it at that level is extremely important. And I know what I do is I try not to let the doctors treat me as an object. I keep telling them my name for one thing. <laughs> I keep telling them so that they know I'm a person with an identity and a history and family. I tell them about myself somewhat. I, I make that effort. I interrupt them when they're telling me all these physical, giving me all this physical information. I say, wait a minute, you know, my dad lived to be 100 and he was this great guy. And I try to let them know that I'm a person and so that we can relate to each other. And I try to relate to them as persons. That's one way we can do it. Um, also, I think we have to realize that getting sick is it's not a fun thing, obviously. And it's something that when you're afraid of it, you're afraid of it. That's fine. Um, on the other hand, you can deal with your illness in other ways. You can make life uh, more comfortable for you. Uh, it's very important when you're sick to tell the story of your sickness to somebody who will listen. You must tell your story. That's so important. That's a healing thing to do. So there are many things we can do as persons that will help us deal with our illness. Yeah, and your book has more ideas for that. Do you, I know you've done a lot of work with hospitals and the medical mm -hmm. uh, system in general. Do you see a more soulful approach to healing in our medical environments? Well, it's funny. Yes, I think there are some, and some uh, movements in that direction. Uh, just yesterday, I went to a dermatologist that I go to once a year. And the person who led me into the office, you know how someone takes you and leads you into a little room without windows? Mm -hmm. um, she led me there and she said, my name is such and such and uh, I'm happy to meet you. And this is the room we're going to and this is the number and this is how you get back. And I thought this person was well-trained to deal with persons. That's unusual. Mm. Um, the last time I was there, there was none of that. So I think that's a little sign that yes, things are getting better, but there, we have so much farther to go. And then to the really big things to understand that our illnesses are not just physical, but the way we live and the experiences we have emotionally affect how we, how we are physically. So we have a long, long way to go. But I think there are some uh, some changes that are that look pretty good here and there. Mm, mm, yes, yes, I know it is. It it is looking better. I think even just the environments in, in hospitals. I my father was recently in uh, for a knee replacement surgery, and I just going in there the the colors that they're using and the yeah um, yeah. But I agree, we still have quite a yeah. ways to go. So maybe you can speak to my uh, my people, those of us who are on the, you know, coming into our aging years. 
Um, mm -hmm. A lot of us have parents who are elderly, and I know I've been through this recently where um, when my dad had his surgery, my mom's health was not great, so we helped take care of him. And I think the idea of, I think there's a possibility that we can be overdoing it with our parents. <laughs> Do you have any advice for, for those of us who um, might be sort of on the cusp of, of that and how we can best be good companions for our parents as they as they are aging well, and so that we can support their souls. Yes, well, at the soul level, I think mm -hmm. it's first of all, you have to understand the greatest need the soul has, period, the biggest of all is home, a sense of being home. And when people get sick and when they get old, they lose their sense of home. They may have to move to a new place. You know, they may have to go to a, an institution of some kind, or they, they may find themselves in a hospital. Or their friends may be dying, and it's hard to maintain that sense of home. So I would say anything you can do to support a sense of home for older people who are sick would be very, very helpful. Looking at photographs, talking, letting them tell the stories of their earlier years. You may have heard them already, but you've got to be patient and understand at a somewhat distant level that, that this person that I know so well has to tell their, her story or his story. It's so important. So you listen to it mm. over and over again. But the other part of it is, if you don't take care of yourself, if you give away too much of yourself and sacrifice yourself too much in that giving, you're not really helping them because they don't want that. One of the, one of the biggest uh, worries that older people have, what they tell me anyway, and I feel it myself, is that they don't want to be a burden on their children. That's a terrific weight to bear. I've, I've heard people say, the one reason I don't want to get old is because I don't want to be a burden on my children. Mm. Well, you can help your parents, but you don't have to be a burden on them. I mean, you, they don't have to be a burden right. on you. Right. Uh, you, um, you can take care of yourself and let them know that you can take care of yourself and take care of them at the same time. I think that's really the trick. Do both things at the same time. Mm-hmm. And honor that, honor their uh, experience because it is individually their own, I guess. Yes, exactly. Which is really hard because we want to do everything because I just love my parents so much. I want to do whatever I can to make their lives more comfortable. But I think yes. as they're still together. They're still both, you know, they're married. And I think their marriage has some maturing that can happen too. And so you don't want to get, you don't want to do too much because they can no. do for each other. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you want to preserve their uh, as much independence on their part as, as possible, mm -hmm. you know, and you want to uh, allow them their solitude and their uh, being alone at times. You know, older people like to be alone as well as with other people. Mm -hmm. Those two needs are, are they're a team. You need to be alone and you need to be with others. So if you can get both of those things, make them available for your parents, that would help. Hmm, find a balance. I, I remember when my grandfather, grandmother, uh, who, who I was very close to, um, was getting into her, probably her 80s. And I remember her, her telling me the hardest thing after my grandfather had died was watching her friends one by one pass away. And I, I yes. sensed this loneliness. And um, even though she had a lot of family around her, her friends were just, you know, leaving their their souls were departing. Um, can a loneliness be an initiation? 
Yes, yes. I have a chapter on loneliness in this book. Uh, it's a big thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, in my work as a therapist, the principle I always work by is, is one I learned from my teachers. We go with the symptom. We don't go against it. We try to we try to go into the symptom and ask us, what is it asking from us? What does it want? And so when a person is lonely, one of the things I think about is maybe they need to be alone more. Like I know the the logical and the immediate response is, oh, get some people around them. But, you know, you can be lonely in the middle of a lot of people. And so I think the, the solution to loneliness is deeper. It may need, uh, the loneliness may be asking this person to accept that they are alone. Like when, okay, so your friends are dying. Well, that's part of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you have to go into a big funk just because that's what's happening, because that's what happens. So what you have to do, I think, I'm thinking now for ourselves, and maybe we can help others with it, but we have to realize that, that as you get older, you are, be, you are part of a natural process. There's a spiritual side to this, and that is that you say that I have to be with what, what my life is, what is actually here right now. I can't be pretending that it should be otherwise or that it is otherwise. So if my friends are dying, that's a fact. I'm going to be more on my own. I've got to deal with it. I have to change my life, my expectations, and be with what, what life is, is like, what it's about, what it's presenting to me now. Years ago, it, presented to, it may have presented me with marriage. Well, that was a beautiful thing, but it was always a, also a problem, wasn't it? not easy to be married. So you get lonely when you're older. It's not easy to be lonely, but that's what comes along at this time in life. And sometimes maybe we're lonely for our true self, for our soul. And we can find that, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know, but I'm, I'm thinking. And sometimes we might be a little lonely for someone else. And that's yes. when, when sometimes the beautiful thing happens that uh, in older age, someone f might find another uh, companion after, you know, one of them has passed. And that's oh, what we, yes. <laughs> and you do say in this book that sex and uh, sex life can go on and on and on. So I love that. That's a good thing, right? Yes, it is a good thing. <laughs> you talk it about may, that quite... It may, ch it may change. You know, sex yeah, life sure. may change a bit, but it doesn't. It still goes on and it can be as intense as ever. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, you have, you have, I'll, I'll leave that for everyone to read about because you, you, okay. you talk about that quite a lot in the book. So that's good. You say in the book, be open to life and be transformed time after time by specific invitations. I kind of feel like that's what happened with this interview. I get your book in the mail and, you know, we have this conversation and I'm, we're being transformed as we speak. So, yeah. Just be yes, open. that's right. Be open. Well, this happens every day. It every does. day, you're given an opportunity to, to do something, to respond. It may be something very small. It might be something big. But every day, you can respond. And it seems to me that is what aging is. You, you, you respond positively to what life offers you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it requires courage. Mm -hmm. And sometimes patience. I mean, who knows what. But uh, if you keep saying yes, then as you get older, let's say you're in your your more advanced years, and if you live that way, you you don't have a lot of regrets. You know, you're not living through regret or wish you had done things. Right. And also, you've really lived. So now, I think you can live better as you get older. 
You, you talk about so many things. You cover anger and depression versus melancholy, and there's just a wealth of information here. But I love that in the end, you talk about spirituality for the older years. And you, you actually say, don't worry about being superficial by trying everything. Thank you for that permission. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, I mean, I teach yoga, but I was raised yeah. Episcopalian, and I, I, I kind of spread myself around, and I enjoy that. I enjoy studying different, you know, now I'm studying the mystics. I enjoy, like, learning from a lot of different places because, in the end, it all comes back to my soul. Right. <laughs> yes, and every every spiritual tradition and every spiritual teacher has something to add to the picture. You know, they've got something to add, and it doesn't mean that those ideas. You have to, you don't have to buy their whole system. You don't have to become a member. All you have to do is take that insight that they have to offer and make it part of your experience, your spirituality. Hmm. Beautiful. And then you talk in the end about leaving a legacy. Can you talk about that just a little bit and the importance of it? And yeah. How much should we think about that? Well, you know, I didn't think about it at all. I just thought it should have been in the book somewhere. <laughs> and so I started writing about it, and suddenly I realized, well, this is more important than I thought. In the end, it became one of the most important chapters for me because it has to do with thinking about the future and opening your heart. I think it's about the heart legacy opening your heart to the people who will come after you. It might be your, your family members, like I, I talk there about how I, I, I keep so many of my books because I want them for my great-great-grandchildren, <laughs> that kind of thing. Well, what that does, it very tangibly puts me in connection with my future and with love, with my heart, my heart's open. We need to open our hearts in so many ways that, where they're closed. So leaving a legacy, no matter what it is, it may not be physical. You may just be leaving the legacy of your memory and of the good things you've done or the struggles you've been through and the stories you've left behind and the photographs. Those things may be your legacy and they're going to be important to the people who come after you. And so I think that gives you a sense of immortality and and your heart is wide open then. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's how we can age and that's how we can get and become older people is to expand our hearts. Can you share with us a few things that you feel are important to leave as a legacy for those that come after you? Yes, I, I at now, uh, at this point in my life, uh, it's very important for me to talk to my children. I have a son and daughter in their 20s, and uh, I make a point to tell them things that happened in my life, you know, things that happened when I was younger, things that some of them not so great, you know, I mean, mistakes I made and things like that. And also some of the things that I'm happy about to let them know what my life was like. I think that's part of the legacy. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a tangible thing. I mean, it does relate to the uh, photographs. We have books and books of photographs that we are leaving behind. Sure. And they're important to people. But um, and I will also write things. I'll write letters or I'll write uh, little pieces. I, I always wanted to write a book for my children to leave as a legacy. Mm -hmm. So uh, sometimes we've also, when we move into a house, we moved around quite a bit in our lives. We, we put a little time capsule in the, in the ground somewhere, in the grounds of the house. And that's a legacy for the people who will come after us to just remember that somebody else was here, a family that loved each other and had life here and really lived out their lives. 
that's a form of legacy. There's so many things we can do, so many things. Mm, yeah, and reading the book just gives you so many great ideas about that. So when I asked my class about if, if they had any questions for you uh, for this interview, Libby is 90. She just turned 90, and she is mm. the most fashionable. Shout out to Libby. She, she always dresses impeccably, and she's in great shape, and she shows up ready and, and ready to go, and she loves uh, learning, and um, she studies, <laughs> studies everybody. I mean, she's when I asked, uh, when I first came to that class, I said, what, what is, what does yoga uh, bring to your life? And she goes, awakening. And I was like, oh, this 90 year old, she's still into it. Yeah, it's so good. So, um, but when I asked my question, if she had any, if they had any questions for you, Mm -hmm. Libby is concerned about what I feel like you cover in this book. She was concerned about the afterlife, actually. She said, she said her question specifically was, and I think it's really, um, cover it covered in your book when you talk about how to die with soul. She's really mm-hmm. she's she says why if so many people have these near death experiences they see their um, they see their loved ones but what about reincarnation aren't they in a different isn't their soul in a different place or um, I, I'm not sure what her spiritual background is but uh, she's anyway she's thinking about the afterlife so maybe you can yeah. address that for Libby yeah. Well, I can tell you what, what you know, more personally, what I think, what I think about it. Um, and I've thought about it a lot, obviously. Uh, I think that as human beings, there are certain things that we just can't know. And they are mysteries. So important to live in the presence of mystery. I've, I've written about this in every book I've written. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what spirituality and religion are. They are a relationship, having a relationship to the mysterious that's part of life. And so you don't want to give answers where you don't have any. You don't want to explain things that are not to be explained. And one of those things is afterlife. That doesn't mean that we can't use our imaginations to wonder about what it could be. So people have said, well, reincarnation makes a lot of sense. I think it does too, and I love it. I love the whole idea of reincarnation, but I don't believe in it. You know, it's not like I'm, I'm not saying that's the answer. Mm-hmm. I grew up where heaven is a beautiful place. Every, all your you know, wishes are granted. It's a wonderful place of peace and joy. Well, I think that's also a wonderful way of imagining afterlife. And I don't believe in it as such, but I, I leave it open. I think, well, boy, that'd be nice. I hope that's what it is too. Um, but I, I'm not to know, as a human being, I just, it's, it's not given to me to know the answer to that question. What I can do, though, is try to look at life and say, well, what makes sense? And what can I live with, knowing what I know? And what will give me a positive feeling about death and afterlife? That's important to me. What would insult my intelligence and be too naive and too sentimental? I don't need that. I need something strong and intelligent and fitted, suited to me and my own mentality and my own feeling about life. Mm. So for myself, I don't need a particular solution. What I do need is an openness to life and say, well, I trust in this life. I didn't ask to be born into it, but I was born into this life and it's been very good for me. So I'm going to trust my leaving and I'll let somebody else take care of that. But I hope it's as good as coming into life. 
Very good. And you you give some practical ideas for dying with soul. Um, don't die alone, you say, if at all possible. Yes. Um, yeah. Be closer to family members if if it's possible than ever before. Yeah. Mend, open your heart. Open your heart. That's what it comes to, right? Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Thomas, for coming on this podcast and talking about your beautiful book, Ageless Soul, Lifelong Journey Toward Meaning and Joy. I will continue to go back to your books for as I age, and hopefully I will age well as you describe it in your book, because now you've been a mentor for me and for so many others. So thank you so much. And um, everybody get the book. It's out of all the regular places. And for more information about working with you or hearing you, because I know you're, you're still traveling around doing all kinds of talks and classes and stuff, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at my website, thomasmoresoul.com. Of course. thomasmoresoul.com. And you can contact me through there, too. And... Uh, uh, Connie, you uh, uh, you are aging well because of this work you're doing. You know, work is so important. When you do it with your with soul and for people's souls, then you yourself benefit. So you're in very good shape in your aging. I, uh, you're to be admired. Thank you. I appreciate those words. I will carry them in my heart <laughs> as I good. as I continue. All right. Well, have a beautiful, beautiful day. And um, yeah, good luck. I'm excited for your book to come out. I'll tell everybody I know. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Take care. When I look into your eyes, it's like watching the night sky or a beautiful sunrise. Well, there's so much they hold And just like them old stars I see that you've come so far To be right where you are How old is your soul? Back to Happy A Journey of Hope, Healing, and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy, in paperback, Kindle and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.